Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. Before we get started, I need to shout out my patrons. Thank you for your support of the show. You help make this episode possible. If you'd like to support the show, want a shout out on my next episode, or want an inside scoop on my upcoming guests, consider joining. You can find the link in my episode notes, my link tree, or by heading to patreon.com slash hn the number two DM. And remember that 10% of my ad and patron money goes to support local LGBTQ plus youth via Encircle. Check out my link tree for more information about Encircle and the awesome stuff that they do. And now onto this episode's guest announcement. Dylan and Aram have been working together since last summer on their show Kill Every Monster, a creative hybrid of TTRPG discussion and actual play that dives deep into an entry from the Monster Manual each week with a new guest. They talk about what they like and dislike about the monster in question, how they might run it in a game, and then spend the second half of the show role-playing an encounter to show off their ideas. It's a great resource for any DM to pull from for their own game. Enjoy! I am fairly new to public awareness. I'm a physicist from Canada, and I mostly just used Twitter to yell about RPGs. And then I met up with Aram at Gen Con one year, and six millennia later, we started a show together. And now I get to complain about more things, but people listen to me complain, which is a wild difference from my day-to-day life. Are you the guy with all of the papers that are kind of blowing in the wind saying that the end is coming and, and no one's listening? Is that is that what it is? Isn't every scientist that person right now? Yeah. <laughs> we all love this game. We all still play this game. But D&D is very bad at most of the things D&D is purported to do. Yeah, it's very different than what it was intended to be, right? I was actually talking to my wife about this yesterday. She loves listening to me talk about rpgs as you can imagine but it was kind of like yeah the whole cr system it's kind of designed to just like do dungeon crawls and that's the point and like that's not the game people want to play yeah. nowadays anyway it's all built yeah. to do dungeon crawls it's busted most of the monsters i have basically referred to as just being bears they have a claw claw bite attack otherwise they're a bag of hit points that is the entire <laughs> monster manual in a nutshell <laughs> you have made that claw claw bite joke a few times on kill every monster yes <laughs> And I'm noticing it more, too. I'm seeing the patterns. Maybe I'll start believing you when, when all your papers are blowing around in the wind. <laughs> okay, Aram, what about you? Uh, my name is Aram. I am a, I guess I do this professionally. Now, I keep wanting to say that I'm still a videographer and all that, but I'm really not. I make games. I make podcasts for a living. I'm, I am the writer and producer of the show God's Fall. And I also now am the co-producer of the show Kill Every Monster. How did the two of you end up getting into TTRPGs? And then I'd love to hear how you uh, met up as well. We'll get into like the podcast and stuff later. But yeah, just a little, you know, love story would be great. <laughs> yeah, I had a babysitter uh, when I was like, I want to say seven. My brother was probably five. And we were a handful. And this guy, Lowell, just like wanted something to occupy. So he wasn't that much older than us. Maybe I was around 10 then, because he was like 12, 13, like just the slightly older neighborhood kid that they thought was okay, was okay to leave us with. And he didn't know what to do with us. So one day he showed up with, it must have been the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons book back then, and just was like, make a character, do it. Like, 
go through this, figure out what you want to make and make yourselves a character and we'll go from there. And my brother was kind of into it. And I was obsessed from the very moment I could be like, wait a minute, I can be this person. I can do this. And then I can also do this. And because I was playing in television back then and maybe Zork and some very basic games. And all of a sudden this guy was a computer who could do anything and I could make anything happen and make any choices. And it just blew my little 10 year old mind. And I've been hooked ever since. And Dylan, what about you? I was a fair bit later. It was way back when Twitch was still like one guy had a channel and then six guys he was friends with were watching him play. (laughs) I would hang out there with a couple of guys that kept trying to get a Dark Heresy game off the ground. It never happened. But I got really excited about the idea of RPGs. I was walking around with a friend of mine, Alex Bohr, who was on the Flump episode for Kill Every Monster. And I was telling him about this, like, this is what RPGs are. There are these books, you get all these options, you can make all your... And that game eventually fell apart. Nothing came of it. Two weeks after that, Alex comes by. It was me and another friend who were talking about this game that didn't happen and just goes, hey, I decided I'm going to run D&D for my friends. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to be making this up. Do you guys want to help me? Because you've at least read some books. So we ran our first game for a bunch of Alex's friends as a weird GM triumvirate. You started talking about your first game there, Dylan. Can you tell us kind of how it went, how, how your first campaign went? Uh, and then, Aram, when it's your turn, tell us about kind of your first time running games. So we started off, we had just some random module we started off with. Run them through like literally just a short dungeon for level one players. And the way it broke down was uh, we had the rules monkey who was checking the books I knew the mechanics a little better, so I was largely running the fights and doing a bit of the narration. And then Alex was running most of the NPCs, and the two of us were largely bouncing off each other to tell the story with our third partner sort of coming in every once in a while to pick up the slack when we were falling off. I was 18, Alex was like 17, 16 maybe. He was a little younger than me. And we were playing at a table of, you know, late high school dorks. We were going session to session where we'd finish, they'd go home. We're like, okay, so we're going to play again in two weeks. In one week, we're going to get back here and we're going to figure out what happens in the next session. And the way we would do that is we would show up, flip through the monster manual and be like, there are these ant dudes. Make them fight ant dudes? Yeah, how are we going to make them fight ant dudes? Uh, We made them fight kobolds last time, right? The kobolds dug too deep. The ant people came out of the tunnels. Now they're swarming the town. That's it. We don't have to make them go anywhere. The ant people are just going to attack the town they're already in. Good. Cool next session and we did that for a summer basically it was an incoherent mess in retrospect but it was a lot of fun to go through honestly the first time you play like you don't know any different oh, right it's, it's, it's always gonna awesome. be a mess yeah <laughs> yeah always. exactly and you were uh your first time running games i was a player for a long time i was one of those players who joined the game there was other people dming i was lucky enough to find not always great DMs, but dedicated DMs who were willing yeah. to put in the time. And there was one particular one. I didn't necessarily agree with his storytelling. It's harsher than I would be. I would straight up say he was a cruel DM and kind of got off on the cruelty, but was also so fair because of their own weird you know, set of rules they had placed for what they need to do to be a good DM, that while they were cruel, they were fair, so it was fun, right? If you could get in that vibe. You knew that you were going to lose a character, but you know, you could get in that vibe. 
And one thing he did really well was at the time, again, we didn't have any tools. Like there were computers, right? But they were, you know, things. I am an old man. <laughs> so they were large <laughs> things you didn't bring with you and no one could afford a laptop. There were no iPads, right? None of this existed. None of the digital tools existed. So he taught me how to properly keep a binder, how to have the right tabs, how to put like all the world building stuff here and have all the front loaded stuff and all your notes here and like have the light notes and then have the deeper notes behind it. So you're not always being distracted, have the tabs so you can flip by section, have little dropouts you can have if you need encounters to just pop in. And he taught me this system. And that's what I used for a while. That's what I thought DMing was. DMing meant having every single thing prepared in a binder so you can act like a computer and tell your people every single thing about your world at all times. That's what I thought DMing was. And for a while, that's what I tried to do. Wow. That is a lot of work. That is the exact opposite of what I came in with. <laughs> I came in in this like crunchy, you know, real strong DM top-down thing. And, you know, you drew your maps, you had everything. And if you didn't, you failed. Because you let the verisimilitude of your world dip for just a bit, because this is what oh, you've God, taught. I hate that. That's what I was trained to believe, right? And I still have segments of that that like stay in my head and like will live there forever. But I've mostly managed to give up a lot of that. It taught me some things. It taught me the importance of maps, and I think I keep some elements of that, right? But yeah. it was way too much, and also it's so much replaced with digital tools now. So you don't have to do all that work. I feel like it was a thing in the past too, where if you were a DM, you had a world and no matter what mm -hmm. game you were running, it was always in that same place. And so it yeah. made sense to like put so much work into it. Whereas now I feel like every six months or so, my group is like, all right, what are we going to do next? Like, where are we going to go? Yeah. You know, what, how's it going to be different? It's a different time. Worlds should be purpose built. If you're going to play a different kind of game, but if you build the Marvel Universe, and you want to tell the Batman, you scrap Marvel. You don't go there to do it. Right. Yeah. We were also I, kids, though. I mean, we could afford a system. We could mm. afford the, and maybe we'd even have access to much beyond that, but we could afford to all put into one system. Maybe someone bought terrain. Maybe someone was into miniatures. The DM would usually buy the books, and that's all you could do when you were 16, 17. Yep. Yeah. Since my beginning of running games, it's always been like I've always had Google Docs. I've always had a way to command F and look for whatever I need and, and like digital organization. So yeah, very different. I'm also really like, you know, if I make a game and sell a game, I want to be able to get copies into, into people's hands via PDF who probably can't, who might not be able to afford or may, or may just like doesn't want to drop 20 bucks on it because that's a bit of a struggle this week, right? I still want yeah. that game in their hands. I think a lot of people look at it that way. Also, there's things like this bundle for Ukraine and the bundle for mm. the trans rights in Texas. A $10 thing got you more games than you could play in the next 10 years. There's so many new ways to get games in people's hands. Now, I think that if you were to play D&D for 10 years and nothing else, you're just, why? You know, <laughs> you could play so many other games. Yeah, like you said, you could buy one of those bundles and have games for the rest of your life that you'd never get to. It's, yeah. it's crazy. But it's cool. It's cool for that reason, too. Whatever you want, someone has built something to do it. So the question I love asking on the show and the reason I started it is I love to talk to people about the biggest mistakes they feel like they have made running games. So, uh, yeah, I'd love to hear what mistakes you've run into and what lessons you feel like people could learn from 
um, these mistakes in their own games. Every six months, the discourse starts up again for like high prep versus low prep, how much you should have planned and all that stuff. And the answer is always the middle. When I started off, obviously, like I said, we were going session by session. We had no idea what we were doing. We were just looking for a fun thing to throw at them the next week. And that was maybe a little bit less than we should have done. But I've also played in games and I've run games where I knew almost like beat by beat where I was going. And those are less fun for me and absolutely less fun for my players. If you're going to play a game, have a start and an end. Not even like the the grand final scene, but like if you have, I'm going to start you off as like, you're a mercenary company, you're going in to take care of this job, and that's going to kick things off. And that'll get you embroiled in a problem. And the problem is, 20 sessions deep, this is the lich who has decided he's going to unbind his soul from the phylactery and fully just reincarnate himself as a living man. That's his final goal. That's your start and your end. The middle of the game is the players getting in the way of that somehow, and now the Lich has to recalculate his plans, reconfigure the ritual. That you can plan session to session, but you always have something you're driving towards, and as long as you know where you have to end up, there will feel like a coherent plan trajectory the whole way down. That's a lie, but your players never need to know it. (laughs) It also gives you something where just like, sometimes stuff happens, and you just now have a pile up of like these aren't inconveniences to your plot these are things to pull back in your player made a random choice and like okay well we're going to use that later when this happens the more structured you get the less you can incorporate your players decisions what about you aram the worst thing uh that i've ever done as a dm was the trap that most dms fall on. not most but many dms fall into this trap this idea that the dm has to be right that the DM has to have the knowledge that the DM's final say is law and that my own ego then got wound into that because if the DM is seen as smart, then I'm seen as smart as the DM is right, then I am right. And when your ego gets wound into that, it's disastrous. It's disastrous for you. It's disastrous for the people at the table. It will never turn out well. And I had made that mistake more than once before. And it took a couple of things to finally step back and learn from that, mainly just getting mentally healthier, but also realizing that I do have an ego. And when I run a show now, I don't run that show alone because I have an ego. And so I find a partner that I trust, that I am willing to be vulnerable, and that is very comfortable telling me, no, Aram, up, you're wrong. Just Ram, you can't back. swear on this show. You oh, incompetent right. boob. Don't worry. I'm sorry. Don't worry. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's the reason we edit things. <laughs> I'm going to rephrase. I need someone to basically tell me, uh, you know, you cannot do that, Aram. You you are pushing boundaries. You are not seeing things, you know, or just you're being ridiculous. And just get back down to earth. And I have someone that I can trust, and therefore I feel a lot safer in this show because Dylan has as much power and responsibility as I do, and also because Dylan will just shut me down. And that works better for me. Yeah. For everyone who thinks I'm being unnecessarily mean to a ROM, this is an important part of the relationship. I need to keep him in check. Absolutely. 100%. And I hugely appreciate that. And that is a great deal of emotional burden. And I do (laughs) appreciate it. And it does help the show be better. I don't think I would run a show alone ever again. And I'll take that a step further, because as I mentioned, I started off running games as 
three people running a game for a table of like seven. And now we run this show where I run effectively adventures for a single person. And I have a ROM. Don't run games alone. Don't. Being the DM, you can do it. It's fun sometimes. And there are times where you feel like, you know, no, I have a thing. I know exactly what I'm trying to do. And it can be fun to just drive that. Playing off of more people is always more interesting. And it lightens the mental load so much. It's fantastic. Totally agree. Get yourself a code DM. Yep. My buddy and I, he and I often take turns running games. So we'll run Mm -hmm. one and then we'll run another, you know, like every six months or so. And I feel like we have that kind of relationship where we'll bounce ideas off of each other. I try to be cryptic, you know, like not reveal everything I'm planning. But yeah, definitely having someone you trust to ask like, what about this? What about that is a really big part. And I love it because... No one has given that advice yet. So that's unique and different advice than anyone has given yet. We'll do her one step further. The show Fun City Ventures is phenomenal. It's a Shadowrun podcast, bunch of really, really clever people, really wonderfully done show. And there are two DMs. And it is specifically a thing that I've been trying to get a chance to do for like a year and a half, where one DM is running the world and one is running the antagonists. Yeah. If Taylor starts talking, that character is a prick and they're going to try to kill the party. And if Mike is talking, it is usually facts. It is just neutral and true. And that is so much fun as like a play style and a way to bounce off of each other to be able to just go like talk ahead of the game. This is the villain's motivation. This is what they're trying to accomplish. So when the players run into him, go just kill him. Do whatever you have to. (laughs) We do a version of that. In Kill Every Monster, just to use an analogy, but if the DM is king, I'm court jester. So Mm. it is a co-DM thing, but Dylan's the DM. And I'm playing NPCs and then adding in color for the world as we're going on. And it's a great balance because when I'm being ridiculous and vamping, Dylan's got time to check notes and make sure numbers are right in what the next scene's going to be. And it's a good balance. Make sure that that feat that Aram just told me he was using actually exists. Right. Make sure that I'm not lying. Every third episode, he lies to me. I was protecting a horse that was loved and had a name. Yeah, and it didn't work, and I got to kill that horse anyway. (laughs) (laughs) When is this first episode of season two coming out? I know the Quaddle is out on some platforms, yeah, but... Uh, It's going to be 16th, May 16th. This will be coming out third week in june okay so it'll be out by this time cool yeah see we can reference anything that happened i'm incredibly excited for that episode i love all of our episodes equally i love all of our guests equally they are all of my children either this is a this is absolutely true the coadal episode is special it's special because it's the first time we have taken a cultural monster completely adopted and brought into D&D, then largely ignored, which is, I think, the worst. I mean, there's a lot of racism in some yeah. of the things D&D has done, but I think this bites just a little bit more. They just completely ignored it. Just It's been so just nothing has been done with it like, until even recently. in the case of the Deva, like yeah. it is at its root uh, Hindu and a bunch of other mythologies, but like in that general region. They took it from some new age nonsense from like... Yeah, new age 70s stuff, yeah. It was like the 1880s or something. And D&D took someone else's racism and perpetuated that. 
Yeah. Coatl was the one where D&D was like, no, 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 let's let's take this Mesoamerican myth and just put it there. It would just ignore it then yeah. after that. Yeah. yeah. I To be honest, I've never heard anybody ever use it before. No one ever has. No. Yep. There is one in Tomb of Annihilation. Yep. Mm, that was it. Okay. You do not have to interact with it at all. And right. it's a very good chance that you won't. A very optional one. In- so what we did is we had the normal episode, but then we also went to a uh, Mesa a Mesoamerican, a classical Maya archaeologist who then helped walk us through the cultural ties. Who were the people who venerate the Coatl? What did the Coatl mean to them? Where did these stories come from? And that was a nice little drop-in we did in the middle that felt like we were truly giving this creature back some of the honor it rightfully deserves. As far as your favorite memories from games that you've run or played in, what are some of the really fun and good moments that have happened on the flip side of the bad things that you've experienced and done? I have one that sticks out so so much. So the same DM, right? The uh-huh. jerk DM, right? The, you know, that everything's got to be just right. We're in a cave and we've been digging down deep and we were supposed to go into this mine and help clear it out for these dwarves so they could take it back over and then leave and get our gold. It's a real simple, low-level mission, right? But there's a side chamber, and I just can't not go down. So I take us down. It's this whole extra thing, and we find what seems to be a large white pearl, right? Mm. A couple feet across. It feels dense, and it's pulsing. And whenever it pulses, it pulses cold. I'm like, what the heck is this? So dig it up. It was this whole mess, and then we had to get it out of the mine. And like, the DM made it as difficult as possible. He did, he did not want to deal with this, but we finally got it out. We finally got it onto a wagon and it keeps pulsing cold. And sure enough, we just drug a dragon's egg yep. out of the mine, not knowing it, right? It hatches. It's a white dragon. He has it attack us immediately. Our ranger was done with this thing. He's ready to kill. Everyone's done with this except me. And I was like, no. And I'm like, I'm going to throw my hands out and let it come. And I'm going to show it that we're not and the enemy, we are its friends. And he looked at me with like, I get this look from Dylan a lot, this just exhaustion yeah. look, but this was even beyond that. And he said, you pick up a D100, and if you roll a 100, and I rolled it, and I got a 100. I have never yelled so loud. I ran around the table. This is going to be a side note for your listeners. Never, <laughs> ever ask them for a roll if you aren't comfortable with both potential yep. results of the roll. You don't let someone roll to hit unless the hit can happen, and you don't let someone roll to jump unless you're okay with that jump falling short. Because this yep. changed everything. We were now the party of this very ill-tempered, mean, white dragon baby who we then placated with alcohol, which was a mistake, and we became known as the party of the drunken dragon. And it was one of the best campaigns I've ever been in. All because of my stubbornness and one ridiculous die roll. Uh, I'm sure he loved that. <laughs> he grew to accept it. I think right. is the best <laughs> I could say from that. <laughs> yeah, you're right, Dylan. Though I've fallen into that trap a few times, and now I know, like, if you don't want them to succeed, then just don't have them roll. Because what's the yeah. point of them rolling and getting the twenty or whatever, and you saying, "Oh, but no," and you can tell them outright, like, "Listen." The thing you're trying to do sounds cool. It's awesome. I get what you're going for, but I have a bunch of things set up that I'm worried about, like having to plan around this now. 
I would rather not deal with it. And you can give them the options of like, if you're still highly attached to this, we can give it the role and I'll work with whatever the results are. But I'm just telling you right now that it means that I'm going to have to reformulate if we move forward. What do you want to do? Just work with the table. And so long as you have a good relationship with your players, they're going to be fine with it, right? And now a word from How Not to DM's sponsors. Let's start off with Gemmed Firefly. Need a fresh look for the new year? Head on over to gemmedfirefly.com for the newest tees, mugs, and home goods styled with D&D gamer humor and aesthetics. As always, Gemmed Firefly makes every shirt to order, bringing you all of the softest and most comfortable shirts that thousands have come to love. Listeners of the show get a discount when you use the code DRAGON at checkout. Find your new favorite shirt at gemmedfirefly.com now. And Sister Businesses, PodcastEditors.online and VideoEditors.online. Are you a podcaster or video content creator who loves making awesome content but wishes you spent less time editing and more time doing the things you love? Check out PodcastEditors.online or VideoEditors.online to see their awesome rates and editing offerings. Buy a few hours a la carte or purchase bulk hours for larger projects. Let them tackle the boring stuff so you can get back to making more awesome content. Check out the links in the episode notes for both podcasters and video creators. And now let's return to the show, starting up with a brand new mini game for season two. This week on Quickfire Chaos, Dylan, Aram, and I are going to roleplay an encounter created randomly with some dice rolls. Okay, let's bust out the dice and we will we'll do this mini game. So first of all, let's do a coin flip to determine who is going to DM here. Is it going to be Dylan? No, it's going to be me. Okay, if you'd <laughs> rather do Dylan. it, let's do yeah. it. Yeah, just Dylan. I don't trust him anymore. That's fine. I don't trust me either. <laughs> I'm so glad that you have this relationship. Okay, <laughs> Dylan, do you prefer fetch quests or city quests? Let's do a fetch quest. Okay, fetch quest it is. I do love a city quest in general. They just require too many NPCs, and you usually have to have it way too fresh in your head. <laughs> the idea of this is Aram and I are two adventurers, and we have gone off the beaten path that you have prepared, and we're approaching some random NPC mm-hmm. yes. who's got a job for us, and you've just got got a role play like, okay... Well, I want you to go get X thing, yep. and this is why, and this is why I need it, and this is where you can find it. Excellent. Sound good? Fantastic. So, first, the D100 roll. Let's do uh, the personality trait here. All right. Well, okay, my first roll is going to be 17. Cruel, mean to anyone or anything, without care or regard to consequences and feelings. Perfect. Don't even have to role play. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, your job. Next one. 52. A grave digger, a cruel I grave digger. A cruel grave digger. Sometimes the die they, wow. they don't lie, you know? Okay. Okay. Voice description. 71. Speaks in a morbid dark tone. I'm not making this up. <laughs> Tends to That's... enunciate words in order to enhance their dramatic appeal. I see. Okay. Okay. Anything else? Okay. 
The last thing is the fetch quest. That's going to be a 79. The heir to the throne of a neighboring kingdom. What does the gravedigger want with the heir to the throne of a neighboring kingdom? Put him in a grave. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> what else do I do? So I uh, am the grave digger. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, you are the adventurer. He explained yeah. yes. very recently. I am an adventurer. From? Yes. Okay. Nothing at all with graves. I'm so excited for this. Okay, uh, I will be a gnome wizard. Uh, so short of stature, I've got the blue hat on with the silver stars, yes. exactly as you would envision it. And I am a mighty warrior who fights with a shovel. Yes. A rom? A rom? <laughs> I am a proud adventurer. Stop that. <laughs> I will not. I was told to by the dice. No, I was told to by the dice. (laughs) You were rolling for the quest giver, not your character. Oh. (laughs) I didn't explain it very well. This is my life. No, no, no. You explained it perfectly fine. No, that makes more sense. This is around. Yeah, so I'll I'll be the gnome wizard. You could be whatever you want, Aram, but he I will is, also Dylan be is a grave digger. No. <laughs> I mean, maybe you're his assistant that he sends me on the quest with, right? Maybe you're his muscle, and, and he just is like, oh also, you're going to take him alone. No, no. I'm a goblin. Okay. Ah, I'm You'll a goblin. be a goblin? Yeah. Okay. A gnome and a I goblin. Want. Yeah, I want to steal me. things. I want whatever they got, and I want it. Oh, no, wait, no, no. Um, He's really, really handsome, and I want to marry him. Right, that's what the that's what I want. Though an heir is really handsome, and I'd really like to marry him. You could, yeah, you yeah. could. Okay, yeah. we'll just start. I'm gonna approach Dylan. You'll be with me. What, what's your name, Goblin? My name is Toes. Toes. Toes the, the goblin. goblin. Yep, it's a family name. I'll be Taryn. Mm, Toes and Taryn. I like it. Yeah, the Motley Crew. Okay. Uh, so, uh, good sir, I, I believe that you uh, have a, a quest for us. We are brave adventurers, and we're prepared to undertake any task. Yes. Yeah. For money. I... The posting or did knowledge. involve a price. Yes. I am... You are standing in a graveyard. I imagined this was why you showed up. The introduction is unnecessary, and if I'm being fully honest, tedious. It's a graveyard. The graves would have been a. Do you see? Oh, you all put them in the ground, right? No, right. You're right. You're, you put the corpses in oh, the ground, yes. right? Nope. They are not immediately visible. I am very good at my job. Who is so, uh, as as a corpse guy? Oh, I yes. I believe. Uh, if I may interrupt, I I believe that you have a, a job that you need us to undertake, Mister Undertaker. It's not about yes. digging holes, is it? That was funny. I like that one. No, it's, like, it's not about digging holes, right? We're not going to dig I holes. Will, I will dig the hole. All right. I need a body back. Oh, you need bodies. Oh, we can make lots oh. of bodies. This uh, is toast, please. Simple repossession is fully within my purview. I wouldn't no, no, no. Need we can call it whatever you want. Yeah, we're repossessing a person. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Which one do you need to start repossess? The gravedigger leads you a little bit deeper in. And, you know, where you were near his hut is where... Basically, the pores are buried. It's overturned dirt. It's There's nothing to indicate like any individual place. But as you get in and the stones, take, he takes you to a mausoleum. 
Mm. Oh. He takes you to uh, the mausoleum for the royal family. And he knocks on a sort of a slab of marble. marble. It's uh, already engraved. The dates are not there. It is the impending grave for the present king. Now, the king, as you well know, is set to marry the queen of a neighboring kingdom. Also this alive. Also alive. And the only heir due to the unfortunate and unforeseen disappearance of the elder son. You know, I the way you say that. He said disappearance. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it kind of like, <laughs> like, you know, the the way you say unforeseen makes it feel really seen. Oh, it was incredibly foreseen. And in fact, it was less of a disappearance, more of murder. Ah. And the corpse was held here. Hmm. Now, I need that corpse back. It is, to the best of my knowledge, on route back to someone, a cleric, someone who can bring them back. And if this boy walks again, he will inherit the throne, ah. and this marriage will be pointless. I see. I see. I need that corpse back. And I need it back as a corpse. Or at the very least, you need it to be ashes. Sufficient. Ah, uh-huh. I gotcha. Uh, if it were ashes, uh, how would we uh, be able to prove to you that it is uh, the right ashes? Uh, that's a good question. Oh, the the body was buried with all of its uh, royal accoutrement. The this the signet ring should still be with the body. If you can bring me the ring, all of the jewelry was buried with them. We couldn't have that getting out to pawnbrokers, people who would recognize it, try to trace everything back. Oh, yeah, who would do that? Yes. Lots of problems. Lots well, of problems. toes, it, it appears like we have a job to do. We do. Uh, just out of curiosity, the general value of all the stuff inside, just just so we know what we're looking for. But what would you say the general value of all that was inside his tomb? We'll put it this way. It could amass you a small fortune. Mm-hmm. And if anyone recognized what you were selling and was willing to give you full price for it, oh. then it would be realized that you were in possession of the corpse of a disappeared princeling. And your death would follow swiftly after, either as revenge from their kingdom or in an effort to keep you silent from ours. Okay, so special buyers. Understood. All right, thanks, pal. Where are we going? He does have a point, yes. Yes, do you have any leads on where this body may be taken? You mentioned a cleric. He reaches back. He's had a little lantern sort of at his side as he's been walking through. And he pulls it out. This has 10 charges. It will track restless souls. Say, one generated through murder. No one knows who performed it. It would be ridiculous to ask. I happen to know of a restless soul that very recently left from here. This should give you enough of a trail. Once lit, it will stay active for six hours. It should let you get a few days worth of tracking and if you don't have any clues by then you're useless to me oh well based on when I think they leave they left you should have a week yeah well take us to where the body was 
He taps on the recently resealed grave again. You may remember the beginning of this conversation where I told you where the body was and that it was in the place that I'm standing immediately I, adjacent. You pointed to. out that it was going to be the place where the body goes, and it's not. Then yes. the number's not there yet. So I had assumed that maybe they prepped it. Maybe the body hadn't kind of. Maybe it was like in a morgue house being drained of fluids or whatever weird thing no, you humans do. But no, it was been here. dead for a year. It was right. left in the prepared grave for our king. Well, then light that baby up. Let's get him. Yes, sir. I believe uh, the toes and I... You seem qualified to handle this, gnome. Just take your goblin. Excuse me? I am my own Uh, goblin. Yeah, he's my friend. Uh, Thank you. That's absolutely (laughs) astonishing. Well, uh, toes, uh, I suppose we best get on our way. We're definitely going to bill them for double meals, right? Double meals, double ho- and double hotel. Yeah. Right. I believe our per diem, yes, will increase indeed. Yeah. <laughs> well, on our way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Perfect. That's, yeah, that's all it's meant to be. Just goofing <laughs> around. I love it. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. I'm going to run that later. I like that idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah like I actually want to play this one out now at some point Dude. later. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. You did goblins already, unfortunately, but it was yeah. a good one. Tell us about Kill Every Monster. You've mentioned it a few times, um, but yeah, where did the idea come from? How did it come to be? And uh, where are you guys at right now? So Kill Every Monster began as a complaint. <laughs> like most things. Yeah. Uh, Aram and I had been kind of throwing around the idea of like doing something together, doing a show or whatever uh, for a while. And we'd like attempted one. We would had like draft ideas of a few others and everything kept falling through. It just wasn't quite working out. And one day I was looking through the monster manual. I think I was reading an adventure and I just got annoyed because most monsters suck. I think that's a fairly easy thing to say. At the end of the day, a lot of them are hit points, an AC and an attack die. And that's really all you need. You can usually like just guess at what the saves should be. And then they don't have any bonus abilities. And I was looking through and like all of the major monsters, like, People love owl bears. That's fair. Owl bears are a very cool picture. Owl bears are just a regular bear. There's nothing remarkable about them. They are not fun to fight. And I was looking at the dragon. I was like, the dragon, honestly, not really that fun to fight either. They took away spell casting. They took away shape shifting from all of the evil ones. No one uses the fly speed, and the breath weapon recharges exceptionally slowly. And then there are these things like the Nothic or Rakshasa, which are so cool and have so many weird little abilities and never come up and never get talked about. So this was basically just, I wanted to go through the monster manual and just talk about all of the monsters that do not warrant any attention because as much as their lore is cool, their stat block is worthless. And all of the monsters on the other end where it's just, have you looked at Mykonids yet? Yeah. Because consider Mykonids. They're so cool. That was his way into it. That was his idea. My idea was that I was trying to get a show together. I wanted a show that wasn't going to be a full cast, long-term show. I wanted a show that I could do six or seven seasons of, but I needed something where people could drop it at any time. I did not want people to feel like, oh God, I just found this show. Now I have 80 hours to listen to before I feel caught up and part of this community. I wanted a show where you could literally just say, I want to listen to the vampire episode and get everything you needed to get from that. The main idea was that I wanted a show that A, I didn't have to make alone, that I could make with Dylan, which I've been wanting to make a show with for a long time. And I wanted to be able to have a talk element, which I haven't done a show for before. So I figured that would help get a different audience and let us talk about things and 
dive into things deeper than we can with the actual play. But I also very much wanted to showcase what we've learned to do as far as producing actual plays. And I wanted to really make some standout segments. That is the root of this argument. Yep. Is the initial pitch was half and half, more or less as is, except the second half was going to be like a continuous overarching campaign. Yeah. And I kept going like trying to thread that together in just quick half hour bites, like seems like a nightmare having the guests get in. He was totally right. The worst part is that I was pushing for the player to play a character and Mm. for me to play the monster. That's how I was initially pushing this idea. And Dylan was pushing back a little bit, but didn't know me well enough at that moment to really push back on me. Then we had one conversation with RK Wild, and that was it. RK was like, the guest should, of course, be the monster. Stop fighting this around because you're completely wrong. And and then I just snapped out of it. I was like, you're right. You both are right. Thank God. Because if we hadn't done that, the game would not, I mean, the show would not be as good as it is. It wouldn't even be what it is. Like it would just be another show. It creates a really fun selling point for the guests because one of the things I like pointing out, if you're a DM, you're probably always the DM. Yeah. And everybody loves to see their characters succeed. But if your character is a black dragon, you don't get to see that character succeed. Yeah, That character is there only to die. And I get to go to people and be like, hey, you want to come on? You want to talk about the owlbear? Do you want to take an owlbear and actually eviscerate a player character with it? Because I have a ROM here, and if you want to kill him, you can. <laughs> yep. Just let loose, run this the way you would if you were the meanest DM you could imagine. And I always play some jerk, someone who's it's got it coming. fair. Yeah. No, no. Righteous vigor. There's yes. a reason why you do the things you do. Yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> Initially, we thought it was going to be a fight to the death every single time. Yeah. But then, yeah, yeah. you know, episode three, you know, Dylan comes along with the werewolf. And now it's this cute, fuzzy werewolf that everyone loves. And my character was a nice boy in the end. And so now sometimes that's the dynamic. So it's sometimes kill every monster. It's mostly be killed by the monster. And it's sometimes kiss the monster. It's, it is sometimes kiss the monster. Yes. Yeah. It is. So you touched on a point where you've got your guests coming in and they're the ones who play the monsters. So part of the reason why the show is so interesting is because you try to find someone who is connected to the monster in some way, whether it be culturally or otherwise. And so, yeah, tell us about what it's like to look for people who are a good fit for the monsters and kind of how that adds to the show. You guys think we do work? It's the best thing. We hear this all the time. Like, you guys must research into no, we like, we like you. And like, do you want to talk about a monster? And like, I kind of want to talk about this. We're like, cool. <laughs> like, that's it. I'm so glad we got Sin on to talk about it because otherwise yeah. I would have had to do it. But like for me, it's the Nothic. Everybody has that monster in their back pocket where they're like, I don't get to use this often enough. It's really cool. For the Doppelganger episode, we just went to Noir and we're like, You're cool. Do you want to be on the show? And Noir was like, yeah, and I want to talk about this. I have a whole city built. Like, I have a thing in my world. I'm like, great, good. Say that at us, please. And then for anything anything with like cultural weight to it, yeah. fortunately, we've been running in a good enough circle that like we have some people that we've shot down. We've just told them like someone came to us and asked about doing the Oni, and it was a friend of mine, a guy I like a whole lot, but he's a white guy in like Calgary which is uh, Canada, Texas, basically. 
So, I've never heard someone say that. I Moose Texas. That's what Alberta yeah. is. Yeah. It's cows and oil and conservatives. It's Canada, Texas. He came to me and he was like, I want to do the Oni. And I was like, I would love to have you on at some point. The Oni has a whole thing behind it. Yep. We usually don't hunt for someone to cover a given monster, but we'll hold them back if we're like, we would like to have someone appropriate cover yeah. this. On occasion, yeah. we have made an ask. I think for the Rakshasa, we were mm-hmm. like, hey, what do you feel about this? Because we knew that they yeah. were so into the cultural heritage and had discussed these stories with their dad. So we felt comfortable yeah. saying, hey, would you like to represent this? We did the same thing with Evan. And whenever we mm-hmm. do make that ask, we always make it a point to say like, hey, listen, I know this is a part of your heritage. I know this is something that could potentially be meaningful to you. So if you want to take that on, we would love to have you talk about that. If that's too big of an ask, if that feels like emotional labor you're not signing up for, that's cool. Pick any other monster. We just thought this might be a fit for you. And if you want to do it, we'd be happy to. And everyone has been really great and has been like, yeah, "Yeah, I'm going to take that on. And the stories are so much better because they do. Because there's a personal connection, whether through story or just shared knowledge of their own history or of the tales that their people told. I mean, it just makes for a better story. Yeah. You know, speaking of heritage and stuff, it was really cool to hear Dylan's story about the werewolf that they wrote that was based on Armenian myth, right? Yeah. My great-grandparents immigrated from Armenia. I'm so far removed that like, I'm not super close Mm -hmm. to the culture, but it's just cool to like hear stuff like that. And it made me want to go look up more Armenian myths and stuff. Too, to be so. fair, most of our it was most of our great grandparents that left because they had to. So yeah. a lot of us are in the same boat, my friend. They were before um, the genocide. genocide yeah. Oh, good. So it was like turn of the century. But yeah, oh, wow. I'm sure all of their family yeah. is dead. You know, like yeah, it's rough. Anyway, Absolutely. funny aside for that one, uh, Aram and I were kind of like looking at the statistics. We went in and we were looking at like where our downloads are because it always blows my mind. To me, I'm just a random dude rambling on the internet. We're looking through and I'm like, there's a person in Ghana who listened to our show. That's got to be a VPN or something. And if it's not, whoever you are, like, that's awesome. There is one download in the capital of Armenia. And I guarantee I know what that episode was. <laughs> they came for the Monogol and they left. No interest in D&D. <laughs> Tell me this story about my people. Oh. You two are worthless. Yes. And I, I respect suppo- that deeply because yeah. it's true. And they were like, then I suppose this is kind of the Montagale. And then they left. And that was it. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so the thing I love about the show, um, so my friend Josh Lorimer, uh, I guess our friend, um, because yeah. you know him as well, Aram, and you've Yeah, he's also my friend. Yeah. yeah. You've known him a lot longer than me. He told me when I was planning on having you two on the show, he told me that you, Aram, have like a vision about where content is going to be. And he just really respects your ideas because you think of ideas that no one else is really doing. And that's really what Kill Every Monster has been for me is I started listening and I've never seen a show that does both the talk and a little bit of play. Uh, And also just the fact, like you said, Dylan, where you... Mm -hmm find yourself having to adjust every monster stat block to make it more interesting. That's work that I do every week. Every week I'm trying to think of a way to spice up an encounter so it's not, you know, bite, claw, claw or whatever. And so, yeah, that's why it's been so valuable for me. And even though I haven't used every single monster that you've talked about, it's just been interesting to think. And, you know, it's, it's a great thought experiment of, 
wow, that's a really original idea. And that would be totally fun to use with this monster instead or whatever. Totally. It yeah. So Absolutely. it's been a, a really valuable and interesting tool for me as a DM. So uh, yeah, I've loved this so far. One of the bonus episodes that I want to do after we cover them properly is we have to do the devil episode yeah. because the devils in D&D are utter trash and I hate them all, which is really annoying because I love the concept of devil so much. And then we can do the bonus episode of what monsters are better devils. Yeah. Because I guarantee you, I could get as many stat blocks. I could build hell out of other monsters. 100%. Much better. We also did a really fun one recently where Dylan had the idea to go back through all of our season one monsters and quickly decide if they would do a murder. And by that, they means like he was interested in once they get you down to zero hit points, what does that monster do? Do they spare you? Do they go on to the next target? Or do they ruthlessly go after you which ones would just be like no they're like and like zombies were the most ruthless like if they take someone down they're killing there's nothing else on their mind right now and then i think either flump or coaddle was on the other end it was flump because it was season one yeah so it was a really fun one it's been on the patreon feed for a while it'll hit our main feed right before season two but now this is going to be our yearly thing this is how we yeah. wrap up each season. Like this is the essence of it, I think. Would they do a murder? How much of a visceral threat is this thing in the moment? My favorite part of that was that it's also just disconnected from the question of is it a monster? Yes. Just because a vampire spares you doesn't mean they're not a monster. Like would the hag kill you? Probably not. And for the most monstrous reason, because you are not a creature to it. Yep. You're an object, and now that you've stopped bothering it, it can just leave. I don't you don't care step about on you. every ant. Yeah. I really enjoyed that episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tell us about some of the other projects you have worked on. So we've referenced God's Fall a few times. So yeah, uh, for people who are unfamiliar, tell us a little bit about God's Fall, and then any other projects that you have running in the background besides Kill Every Monster. God's Fall is a game I started when I got into 5th edition for the first time. Got very, very frustrated with the with how much magic there was and how just like transactional magic had become and decided to destroy magic in order to rebuild it. And that's what God's Fall was born from. Destroy the gods, destroy magic from their own hubris, rebuild from that and have the players be the new emerging gods. And what kind of pantheon, what kind of world do they make out of the rubble? As far as other things I'm working on, I'm currently working on a short-run Star Trek series called Star Trek Rio Grande that is going to focus on just after the warp speed ban kicked in. It was a short period of time when they realized that their warp engines were damaging the fabric of space, and they had to kick in a warp speed ban. They kind of hand-wove that by the time they got to Voyager, but there was a couple years where there was this speed limit, and the Federation had to adjust to how it was going to cover the same amount of spaces and planets and how it was going to do its job. So it starts putting young cadet crews into things like the Rio Grande, basically these small crafts that can cover smaller areas but be available. It gave me a way to tell a story where it's a young crew, but they're fully in charge of their own vessel. And I think that that's really important with a Star Trek story. Yeah, that'll be interesting. What about you, Dylan? Kill Every Monster is sort of my my first major projects. So at the moment, that's what I got. I'm currently working on a show with Gliza, a friend of the show who uh, she came on for our Dragon Turtle episode, which was a nonsensical encounter. It was a lot of fun. But we're looking at basically uh, 
Short pitch, Genasi School. Very slightly longer pitch. Nearly every sort of magic school show that I've seen has been high school. And I don't know if you know this, but high school sucks and is a boring place to be because you have no authority and no agency and no actual ability to do anything. So we're looking at basically Genasi College, the uh, Academy of the Plain Touch, the Inner Plains Campus, where all of these people are going and are like full-blown adults doing a course load and trying to actually live a life that is external to that as opposed to, you know, going to magic class, going home, doing your magic homework, telling your mom that you don't want to eat that for dinner again. Come on, can't we do something else? No, I don't want to learn to cook. Please, can't you just cook something different? Terrible campaign. Don't like that campaign at all. (laughs) Have you played Savage Worlds Adventure Edition uh, East Texas University? It's very I didn't even know that existed, but I'm fascinated now. Yeah. One of the things I love about the idea of running this as like a post-secondary thing as a college or university is you get to let your players like if you're doing high school, you know what what the goal is at the end. Everyone in high school is supposed to end at roughly the same place. If you're running a university campaign, you get to turn to each of your players and go, what's your degree in? And it can be five wildly different things. And then you can turn to each of them and go like, okay, you don't have to have these fully fleshed out, but I would like you to give me what are for this semester your four courses and the names of the professors for each of them. And now you have like so much world built because all of the programs they've asked for exist, all of the courses they've asked for and those professors they named, those all exist. And those all inherently imply like weird little structures. Someone tells you like, oh yeah, I'm taking a linguistics course on the impact of the draconic language on fire invocations between the years 800 and 500. (laughs) Like, well, that immediately implies like 17 other courses and areas of study that I can just pull from and be like, yeah, this is just a thing that exists and you believe me because it relates to that last thing you said. I'm very excited about this game. We'll see how she she all plays out. (laughs) Yeah, I only played a a one-shot, like a four-hour game in this East Texas University system. It was like a Halloween slasher thing, right? Axe murder takes over campus. But anyway, it's, there's tons of interesting world building ideas. So yeah, you'll have to check mm-hmm. it out. So to wrap things up here, I'd love to hear one or two pieces of advice that both of you have been given or have thought of yourself for people out there running games. So your best advice for DMs and GMs out there. Work with your table. You are yeah. not different. You are all players, including the DM. And when you create that barrier, like Ron was talking about, that feeling of like, you have to be in control, you have to always know where everything's going, you put way too much stress on yourself, it's part of how you burn out, and it also takes agency away from the players. So if you go in and they ask you, you know, I use this as a throwaway example for like another another thing I was talking about on Twitter recently, but if they walk into town and you tell them, yeah, the city is in absolute ruins, something massive and cataclysmic happened here, and they're like, what happened here? Honestly, I needed the city to be in ruins for this to happen. What do you think is interesting? What do you pick up? What are the hints you notice that start to indicate to you what might have happened? And like, they don't have to give you a complete answer. They don't have to have said, yeah, no, a dragon came in and smushed it. They can be talking about like, no, yeah, when I cast detect magic, I can see these weird little residues around the place or like there are claw marks on the door, but they look like, like humans driving their fingers into something. And now you have so much more to work with. And when any of that stuff pays off, your players feel like they created something. And it's just a more fun game for everyone with a lower mental load 
for everyone. Yeah. The best piece of advice I could give is that as a GM, if you're in the role of GM, you know, obviously open up your story more, as Dylan is saying. Let the players tell more of the world with you. But when you do act as the DM, when you are in that role, you are the champion of your players. The goal you have in that seat is to make your players amazing, to give them opportunities to be grand Mm -hmm. and heroic because they are the heroes of the story. That is your job, to make sure they get to do that. And just don't think about anything else. Like, don't focus on anything else. Don't focus on your own ego or your own underpinnings or your own fears or how well you think the game is running. Worry about whether or not your players are feeling heroic and everything else is going to work great. I want to jump off of that because I have one other minor piece of advice. Yes. PC death. It's one of the biggest fears for, for a DM is to run in and accidentally kill a PC in like a goblin fight or something. One rule, your final boss always has a lieutenant. And if a player dies at some point in the campaign, you can make them an offer. Rules as written, you die here. That is what the dice have decided. Or you get up and I own you now. We're going to play the rest of this game because this feels narratively unimpactful. This is irrelevant. This sucks. If you die here and we have to figure out how to bring in a new character, miserable. But later, when we run into the final villain and he just stabs you in the throat because you tried to interrupt the monologue, you will drop dead with no dice rolls. And I'm going to hand you the lieutenant and you're going to join my team for the rest of that fight. And we're going to try to kill the party together. It lets you do those things where you get those big dramatic moments without like feeling like you have to game the system or like it can just be a fun way to handle that while still giving your players stuff to do. Yeah. You're already dead. I'm just, I'm just going to take the corpse later. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. We're right in the middle then of Kill Every Monster Season 2. So please, if you haven't already, check that out. Lots of different ideas about different monsters, shenanigans, and it is definitely worth the listen. But thank you so much for joining me, Dylan and Aram. It's been a blast and love the show and can't wait to see what you two have cooking next. Thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to How Not to DM. Now it's time for a sneak peek into next week's guest, game designer and puzzle and trap master Scald of Shenanigans. First of all, I love puzzles that have more than one answer to them. Make room for your players to get creative, even if they don't solve it the way you expect it or the way that they're supposed to. If it's close enough to solving it and they were creative, absolutely. So I like things that give you more options when you work with them. And again, I think it comes down to reading the room, reading your players. And so I think that traps and puzzles are trickier because you have to have the right setting and you have to be aware of not straying into that, okay, now this is just becoming a roadblock and it's becoming boring. To hear more tips and tricks about how Scald got into TTRPGs and the game design space, tune in next week. Remember to check out my Patreon if you haven't already for even more sneak peeks. Next time you get the chance, share this episode with your friends and family around your game table. Another great way to help me boost the show is by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or rating the show on Spotify. I appreciate all of you for helping the show grow. Thank you to the team at T4C Studios for helping edit and produce this episode. My intro and outro music is by Daniel Zombo. The Quickfire Chaos music is by Exacat, 
and the Quickfire Chaos mood music is by Arcane Anthems. Check out the episode notes for more of their great work. And, as always, until next time, roll some Nat 20s for me. <laughs>